You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back to a Land and Legacy podcast. Adam, are you there? I'm here, man. I'm here. I'm driving down the road. I'm trying to, like, uh, do the, like, slide into home before the ball gets thrown in. Uh, and, and that reference is I'm trying to slide into my to my house before these storms that they say that are going to get pretty bad get here. Yes. So I'm, like, racing as quickly as I can as I see I don't know. I'm 25 minutes from home, and uh, there's some dark clouds on the western horizon. So I'm like, oh, come on, Grey Ghost. That yeah, is my truck. So I'm was, just trying to get my truck home. That was a, not a metaphor for, for your wife, storms of your wife, but this legit storms. <laughs> legit storms, yeah. I'm not even the doghouse today. No, not even the doghouse. So yeah. cool, cool. Well, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by just the time of the year. Um, some of the, some of the off show discussions that we've had about, uh, bucks moving, some other people seeing some pretty intense cruising activity, uh, across different portions yep. of Missouri. And then some cameras starting to show up. Um, you've got, uh, you and Chad have got a, a buck that's kind of daylight and a really goofy deer, but probably, I mean, I would nice frame buck. Yeah. Yeah. But five and a half year old deer, um, been pretty regular, might have a chance yep. to, to slip in later this week. Um, he's about the only buck that on the farm that we're like, okay, yeah, that one, I'll do it. I'll do it on that one because I think it's a no I feel like he's five and a half plus he's had a bigger body than every other deer. And he's a goofy, he's kind of goofy, but he's a big frame. It's just like, that's a really good deer. And if I gave him two more years, I don't think he's going to be any bigger. Well, I and, don't think even if I gave him another year, he's going to be any bigger. And you know, there's some other bucks on the farm that have, probably nicer uh, would probably score higher 
but they're once again like, ah, I think that deer will make a big jump next year. So I think we just let those slide. And, and this goofy rack buck is the main one. And, you know, he's, he's showing a pretty good pattern right you, now. You, you say goofy, but it's not like he's, it's he's just, a, a it's a unique, it's not, it's, it's yeah. just a, u, a unique configuration, but he's not like a, in my opinion, an inferior deer. He's just a unique shape like he's got a good set of antlers and it may surprise when you hopefully ground truth him um because he's got such a big body and and those antlers stick up pretty far off his head so like yeah in comparison to body size everything's like you know he he could be a little bit bigger than than what you think or what we think when until you until you actually put your hands on him so my gut tells me right now he's probably in the or uh, low to mid forties, mm-hmm. just because he's a big framed eight. Well, uh, right, he's got good mass on his on his uh, yeah. bases, beams. Um, and the reason we call him Goofy is because up until actually this morning, I didn't have any good pictures of him, and it was hard to see what was <laughs> going on with his G three right. on his right side. And I don't know if I even showed you a picture of it yet, Matt, but. Mm-mm. It basically is G3 has the normal tine kind of going forward, and then it has a kicker going on the inside and another little nub going to the outside. Interesting. And then he also has a G4 that's kind of a little nub just past that. So it was like, I don't, I can't tell when he was in velvet. It's like, I can't tell what's going on yeah. with that. He's just kind of goofy. Right. And now that's where his name is Goofy because, you know, we don't get too, Fancy. too, uh, fancy and really like we got to have this name and that name it's like you know that some of these other nice bucks we don't really even have names it's just we can reference them as you know the nice 10 on the farm everyone, everyone knows which one we're talking about <laughs> but yeah no that that's cool to see that deer uh daylighting and kind of putting together a, a little bit of a game plan to kind of strike and then um Seth's after some deer. He's kind of bouncing around different places, not trying to burn anything out, but seeing if something will uh, kind of if if the chase will work out in his benefit, right? So he's got a bunch of different deer, but um, just trying to catch up with one during daylight hours. Kind of been um, haven't ham and egged it well, let's say. So you go to one spot, yeah. the next day they show up, and and kind of vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. And then here at the house. Could easily be a three and a half year old, but a little bit unsure, just not clear pictures, not great angles. But had a, a deer that I have not seen um, show up here at eleven twenty in the morning. Actually, it was eleven twenty two on the camera, and I was at that same camera at eleven seventeen. I thought it was clear and going in just to make sure that camera was operating functioning well. And I was like, oh, it's, it's safe. It's midday. I got a good wind. I'm just gonna tiptoe in there, and I did. And uh, cleaned the scrape out and walked back out. And five minutes later, bump, there's that deer. So who knows if if he actually ended up seeing me walk out or whatever. But um, it's at least encouraging to say, okay, he was he knows where the bedding cut is now. He knows to come back, check those, because I know there are yep. does in there. Um, found, found a scrape. And adjacent to that is four to five acres worth of um, worth of food. So... At some point, even if he doesn't, if he's just kind of checking in, he he will be back and hopefully get a better um, eye and camera on him to see kind of what exactly he is. So, but that's the time of the year. Um, starting to see different 
shifts and new deer pop up and that's what's fun. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who are taking advantage of those movements and putting arrows in deer, which kind of leads us into our probably highly debated <laughs> topic of the of the week. Um, but we, we're yeah. here to provide some personal insight of uh, our our experiences of what we've seen from tracking lots and lots and lots of deer and then helping a lot of folks from afar if we can't be there and giving some guidance um, along the way with uh, deer that are shot with archery equipment and and how <clears throat> excuse me how to go about taking the next steps what what follows the shot um, so essentially what what this is going to revolve around is what we've seen at what is it Adam now three to four different occurrences that we've seen probably in the last week and a half of uh, a deer that have been shot and and essentially just one lung a one lung yeah. type hit. And uh, yep. I know we're going to dabble in other, you know, scenarios that, that a lot of archers find themselves in or bow hunters find themselves in throughout a season. But this is one that, um, man, it can play some tricks on you. No doubt. No doubt. Um, by the way, do you hear the background noise? Is that rain? Yeah. Oh, okay. wow. I didn't know how bad it was. So I'm ba- just Barely. Along. Barely. I can okay. hear it. But well, that's you're good. good. Yeah. Real um, life. Real life podcasting. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, I, I think I know of four, maybe five total on this scenario, just in the last week and a half, two weeks. So yep. um, there's a reason, you know, when we pick topics, it's kind of like uh, <laughs> some pastors just preach whatever God puts on their heart that week. And I feel like we get on and do whatever is on our mind that right. week. Like we don't plan out for future. Now we've got some stuff coming this winter that will be planned out weeks in advance, but this time of year is kind of just what's fresh, what's on our mind. And yep. And I feel like every year we have to do something like this topic because it's just like, every time you hear it, it's like a refresher. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we had some people message in, email in about, the refresher of old field management this fall. Like, you know, for example, you could spray for a lot of you guys, if you've had a frost and your cool season grasses are still green, it's a great time to spray those to remove them. So the next year you have a full growing season without them. Yep. Um, But when it comes to shooting deer and, and tracking deer, we need a good refresher to say, okay, we really you know, I, I because we want every single person who listens to this and every single person who's a hunter to have the quickest, most ethical um, hunts possible and recovery's yeah. at the at, I had to ignore my wife's phone call because it's raining and she's trying to tell me I think, but <laughs> unless there's a tornado, which is very well possible. But um, it, you want them to have the quickest and most successful blood trails deer dies quickly. It's an ethical kill. There was not suffering. There was not, it's just, it was over quickly and it was nice, easy blood trail to follow. The worst thing we want, or the the thing that occurs that we never want to talk about, but it's a part of archery hunting, especially is the lost blood trails. Yeah. And the lost blood trails, bumping a deer or bumping deer and, you know, ultimately, it's it's all the things that we don't want to happen. And I feel like 
based on my experience of all the years of, of filming hunters and filming for various TV shows or, or, or web shows, you know, you just because of that, there's a lot of time on a blood trail and you Lots. start to learn things and see patterns and see things where you're like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I we want to avoid this. We don't want this to happen again. And two of the things that really stick out to me when it comes to lost blood trails or, or, or basically wounded deer and, and, and not finding the deer, two things, shots that are questionable and taking up blood trails too early. Yep. And I, I feel like those two things, if we could address those two things during this podcast, and talk about them, unpack those, and talk. And we got some other stuff, but I feel like those two things are really, really important for people to understand. They're, they're good un- umbrellas to, to capture a lot of different thoughts, but but absolutely, I think those are the origins that you'll find um, many of these conversations revolving around. That's right. And and for me, when I look at just uh, let's talk about the questionable shots. And by that, I mean, like anybody who's ever been around me or in a tree stand with me probably notices that I'm picky when I choose shots. I, I do not like quartering two shots. I really don't prefer quartering away shots. I like, I'll do everything in my power to, I feel like I put more, I feel like I put more emphasis on trying to read the body, deer's body language and focusing on the shot maybe that's for good or bad i look at it going i want to see if this deer is really calm and nothing's there's no issues then i will let it do its thing until i get a broadside shot let's say there's no other external factors that it's trying to key in on or a heightened sense of awareness it's just browsing it's just foraging it's just moving through that's the kind of best ideal scenario that you're looking for. And and most times, unless it's a trail in a transition area, if you're hunting over a food plot or a food source um, or you're even over a bedding area, generally there's going to be quite a bit of opportunity to harvest that deer. That's right. That's right. And, and, and yeah, a scrape. I mean, if you've got a scrape, which a lot of our stands have scrapes, box scrapes around them. So, looking ahead trying to predict the movement of that buck tells me okay you know it looks like he's going to that scrape and if he goes to that scrape he'll do some moving around and i'll get a broadside shot yeah for sure and so one thing i i want to keep in mind and i hope that this podcast doesn't come across because when it comes to the habitat world i feel like there's there's more voices and opinions in the hunting world than there are the habitat world that seems to be changing rather quickly, but it seems like, you know, the hunting opinions. And so I'm going to say something, hopefully people that, that are doing this don't take offense to it, but I feel like if you're putting content out there and especially if you have a following, you should understand that if you're doing something, then others will do it, even though they may not have the same level of experience or skill that you have. That's right. And I mean that for if you're taking questionable shots because you know you can put the arrow exactly where you want to it, where you want to, 
then others will try to take that same shot and likely not be as ethical or as skillful as you and efficient. So if you're taking walking shots, like I, uh, when I see that just makes me cringe because a simple little tongue click could get that deer to stop. And so one thing that, you know, quartering two shots, another one, okay, it's quartering two. I can slip the arrow right in and, and hit exactly where I want. Well, 17-year-old boy who's watching that, he sees it and goes, oh, I can I've seen it happen. Shots, it works. Work, bam, right in the shoulder, and, and this deer has got to wear that arrow for weeks until it finally wears out and you fight off an infection. Yeah, and, and, and there's and a, there's an upset boy, too, in the, in the process and potentially, you know, ruin the first young, experience. Exactly, who's young in the hunting, and that happens again. Now he's fighting that every time he pulls the bow back on a deer. Yeah. And so to me, like that's where the basis is broadside, not non alert. And that almost sounds because deer are always alert, but not high alert. Correct. Just a normal tentative deer that's just doing its thing that's broadside. That's, I mean, bar none, that's the best, most effective way to take a shot. And that just, when I lay out kind of my checklist or my graph later, you'll understand why. Well, <laughs> because and- once you leave that, once you leave broadside and just normal alert uh, deer, then that's when bigger bigger doors are ready to be open for more mistakes. Well, and that's when all the wacky stuff happens. Well, it was like yeah. this, but but then whatever. Um, whatever, you know, X followed. Well, that's weird. Yeah, well, because the deer reacted to to the to the sh- the shot of this, you know, uh, the bow sound what whatever. Um uh, but to pick that's up right. on on whatever uh, excuse me on, on what you're just talking about, um about just trying to take that broadside shot as important as that is, um when you're making and taking that shot, you you have to to be able to recall and and after the shot make the the right judgment calls is really ask yourself. And if you're not videoing your hunts um, and you're just doing this from photo memory, part of your, part of your eyesight and your eye line is blocked from a peep sight, but you have to ask yourself, is that deer truly broadside? And, and you could, it's, of course, everyone's heard, you know, archery is the game of, of angles and, 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 and whatnot. And that's so true, but man, whether whether it's a slight quarter or or it is dead broadside or it's or it's quartering away more than you think, um, dead broadside is rare. It it is very rare. Sometimes there's you know there's usually always some sort of angle into the shot, um, and then when you take that alertness and increase it, um, and that rate of of the deer moving in reaction to something, it's always going to change the angle too. That's really hard to anticipate. So. Um, when you're recalling that shot and you're looking down through your peep sight, generally speaking, some of that body of that deer is blocked from that peep sight. So just really take note of the position of the legs and in in relation to broadside and dead broadside, because a little bit of quarter one way or another, um, and that that's what we experienced with with um, yeah. Seth Harker and his son Trace, who shot a buck. He put the arrow right behind the shoulder. I mean, a great entry point but but when until reviewing and sending the 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 footage out to um others it wasn't uh known that that deer was actually quartering two more than what 
they thought they thought it was dead broadside. But in the heat of the moment, it's just you're looking at all these other situations, and you, your mind can kind of uh, not play tricks on you, but you may not analyze dead broadside 110 percent um, thoroughly. And and then you get to the point again after the shot, and then you're rushing in because you thought it was broadside, but in reality, it wasn't. Yeah, I agree. It, because a simple few inches quartering two means, and then so if he's slightly quartering two or slightly quartering away, and your arrow is slightly off the mark, just like that, you are one lung in for a long night of tracking. Wow. Hopefully not tracking away till next day if you know it's a one lung. But but yeah. right, that's the situation though. And and, and that happens so much. And um we're gonna reference not obviously broadhead specifically, but even then in that situation, right, you miss your mark just a touch, the difference between a quarter an excuse me, an inch and a quarter um fixed blade and a two inch expandable of any varieties we're talking about that makes a difference too in what it is you're actually cutting. It, it, you know, so, so you've got to really be, um, I say dead accurate, but accurate on knowing what shot you took in the first place, but then the arrow placement on top of that too. And, and one thing, Adam, I think even, even if it wasn't filming, um, we would 100% do it and encourage anybody who, who isn't doing it to do it, but shoot lighted knocks. Oh, 100%. Lighted you know, they're, they're pretty cheap now. I mean, you can get a pack 35 bucks or so, order some on eBay. Like, just find some lighted knocks and use them because it's not just for video and it's, it's for not. better understanding where your arrow went in. It's, it, yeah, it's, um, it gives you the information that, that you can then take to say, now when do I take up the trail? Because if, if it's not a clean pass-through... Then you can see that arrow sticking out exactly where it's at in that body, or you you bury the fletchings, you know, to the body cavity, and maybe you couldn't have seen them based on the fletching cover, but now you know exactly where that's at in relation to the body, the so the shoulder, um, the ribs, the liver, the lungs, whatever the case may be. It's just it it gives you just a little bit more information that can help you break down your next steps. That's right, and and you know. There's so many steps in this where selecting the shot, making the shot happen, and then the the moments after the shot um, that really make this more successful. But I want to step back, and when I say a successful track, a successful shot and track to me is one where you make an ethical shot and you have ample time to recover the deer and the meat is still good. Absolutely. Um, Yes. Because so much, you know, like, and, and that's where you get into tricky times if you get the deer too long. Like, I hear a lot of times where, well, we had to track it because the coyotes are going to eat it, if not. And that's like that, that's that terrible timing where you're like, yeah, but the shot's no good. And there's a very good chance that we're going to bump that deer going in early. Right. Yep. Well, and, and. You know, one thing that we talked prior to, but I don't think I brought up this this point of it, um, but I know you'll you'll agree with the aspect of it. As seasons, be, you know, open up late August or early September um, across the the country in the whitetail world, it, it's 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 alarming to me a little bit because 
if you do make a poor shot, that meat is going to spoil by the time you can really recover that deer. So then at that point, it's just an antler, what's just an antler point? hunt. Yeah. At that point, what, uh, at that time, what's the point of this? What, what is this all for? Like, right. What kind of message does this convey to a person who's not a hunter? Well, we killed the deer, but we didn't get to take any of the meat. Yeah, that I just I don't I, that doesn't sit well. I don't I don't like that. Um, but that's nothing that that's we can change like, on this podcast. When you, but it's when you still... go out to when you go out west, like when you see it open up September one, it's like Nebraska or North Dakota. It's like okay, that's fine. Your 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 temperatures are cooler. But like, yep. Tennessee, when they opened up this velvet season uh, in, in latter part of August, it's like Tennessee's still hot. Kentucky, like, what Kansas, is doing here? George, yeah. Georgia's early, and and this is not yeah. picking at those. De- South those, Carolina, yeah, this is not picking at those states, and we can't change what what their regulations are. But this is just the thought process that man, we we do as as respectable ethical hunters, we need to be taking, and this is where it all goes back to that shot selection. We need to be making sure that from the shot selection on, we're making the right decisions. And if you if you're taking a shot that's that's probably questionable. I'm like, you know, regardless, I'm probably going to have to give that deer four hours before I go into it, and it's 95 degrees, and it's only getting down to 78 that night. Probably not the shot you need to be taking. That's right. That's right. And, and, and you know, it's definitely not the shot you need to be taking. And then in the meantime, you know, to, to the second part of, of my two things was um, taking too early. And I'm very pessimistic when it comes to a blood trail. Anyone who's ever blood trailed with me knows that I'm usually like, this deer's not dead till we're on top of it. We got our hands on the antlers and we're dragging the snow out. Like, I'm a very like, going to find it. We're not going to find it. Like, e- even if there's a ton of blood, well, it could be one lung. Uh, well, this blood looks great. Well, it still could be one lung. Well, let's not try to get ahead of ourselves here. Like, and to a point where if it's somebody else's deer, I might not be the best guy on the trail because I might be down or you. Yeah, uh. you, you suck being on the blood dunking. <laughs> but yeah. but honestly, there's there's a hundred percent a healthy balance though of exactly what you're talking about. And and I love a person who who is confident in the shot placement, um, because a lot of times most archers after the shot they start doubting when they don't hear the deer fall or they don't know as much about the shot as they want as, as they want so when when I start talking to someone or like no I feel confident about it and they still hold that confidence despite not seeing it fall I'm like all right that's great but I'm glad you have the confidence however we're still going to take this extremely slow we'll st- we're still going to yep. be um, basically dotting our eyes crossing our T's, every step of the trail that we take. I don't want to take this and make a 150-yard trail, a, a three, four, 600-yard trail, and find them two days later because of buzzards. But that's a likely yeah. scenario if if you're not, let's say, cautious. I think, I think that would probably be the best word to describe. Um, not, not pessimistic. I don't think you're pessimistic. I think you're just very cautious to a point where it allows you to slow down and make wise decisions going forward instead of being too confident and bumping and then really... My wife would try to argue that it's realistic. She's realistic. She's not pessimistic. She's realistic. Every once in a while, she'll get in a mood or whatever about something. I'll be like, you're pessimistic. She's like, I'm a realist. 
And yeah. so there yeah. you go. Yeah. I'm a realist. Like this very well could be a one lung beer. This very well could be a long night. This very well could be a gut shot. Like, um, and, and I didn't think that just because I've spent a lot of time on unsuccessful blood trails yeah uh, from various camps and different people or whatever and and it's really hard whenever uh it's not on camera and the person was too excited to really have a good idea of exactly where they hit it yeah that's when it's just a shot in the dark and yeah you know i think of this there's some famous times famous sporting events where and I forget the football game, but there was one where the band rushed the field before the game was over completely. Yeah. And it ended up turned around and the other team won. And, you know, there's always the pre ending celebration where a team may think that they've got the game won. It's like basketball. And all of a sudden, somebody goes off and goes crazy and starts throwing threes. And eventually, they turn the game around and, and it's over and they lost. And yep. I think of that when I watch a video of a person losing it in a tree stand and not even paying attention to the deer running off. And and you can pick up on telltale signs of, wow, that deer did not slow down. That deer did not stumble. That tail was not like I'm taking my last kind of steps, quivering, shaking kind of thing. That deer booked it, and I didn't hardly see any blood, and I don't think that was the shot angle that he thought it was because there's not a pass through and it probably is a one lung situation. <laughs> yeah. That, that's how like, I watch hunting videos. <laughs> if, if I watch a video and I see an arrow sticking into a deer and the person's losing it, like celebration, it's, it's great to be excited. Oh, absolutely. But that, that's not the successful hunt that, that you stick in the deer is not creating a successful hunt. You getting your hands on it quickly after you shot it and the meat not being spoiled is the successful hunt and it's it's like a it's like a in the park home run right when when you when you were at bat you hit the ball and that's like when you took the shot right so you're like oh my gosh i made contact i'm probably getting at least third base here but but until you get home you haven't actually scored and until you recover that deer yeah, there's a lot of different steps that you need to go through to get to the point where you can celebrate and there's a one on the scoreboard compared to a big old goose egg because yep. you didn't pay attention to what was happening. You, you, And then that would be, you thought you hit a home run and you got thrown out at second base because you were lollygagging. Lollygagging, the guy in the outfield had a heck of an arm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, and, uh, and, and that's where, you know, the second thing, getting the cart before the horse tracking too soon jumping ahead and and bumping that deer and that's one that just seems to be a common trend okay yeah let's go finding no 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 you need to back track it and i sketch of hold on you you uh you, you just stopped there for a second Re- oh you lost me I lost for for just for a quick second yep okay well i did a quick list in my head and wrote it down of like you know what what's going through my head during a um during a a shot and recovery process and maybe this will help some people kind of understand what i do to make sure that i i give a deer ample amount of time and we find the deer so like 
this graph starts out and it says, did you see it fall? And so you shoot a deer. Did you? And, and this is my advice to a person, whether and, you're. And for those for those who are following along and listening, this is like a flow chart. Is what yeah. you're, what you're like, kind of like a, a line graph over time. This is what you do, but it's kind of a flow chart of uh, the scenarios and situations that you might find yourself in after shooting the yeah. deer. So, did you hear? So, you fall? shot the deer, and we're seconds after, and the deer's still running off. Keep your eyes on the deer, pull up your binoculars if you can see a long ways. Do not, and if you've got somebody filming, put the camera on that deer and do not lay your eyes off of it until it's out of sight yeah. and even then if you're filming or watching still don't take your eyes off because you may catch glimpses of it even if it ran behind some more trees on a hillside you may be able to see more so give it time don't talk just listen and watch eyes eyes and ears eyes and ears that's right and so remind yourself eyes and ears when the deer is running off so you ask yourself, did I see it fall? Yes. Well, continue to watch that deer for a few minutes, half an hour. And if it's not moving, doing anything, then you're safe to go. But still, I mean, it's just good practice to always ease into it and don't be laughing and clapping and yee-hawing your mm-hmm. way to the deer. So just ease your way over there. Okay, did you see it fall? No. All right, now we go down this 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 column and so after no i say well this is just conversation too that's how i kind of came up with a lot of this no you didn't see it fall well was it broadside and you can say no it was not broadside and you say well what position was it and then from that you say well oh it was quartering away okay did the arrow go was it a full pass through and if you say, and from that, you say, yes, it was a full pass-through. Okay, where was the location? Entry and, and there, exit. <laughs> yeah, entry and exit. Well, it was about, it was behind the ribs on the right side. Looks like it went out somewhere on the front shoulder. That's pretty good. I, what yeah, kind I like of that. broadhead were we shooting? Fixed blade or expandable? And from there, you say, okay, it was a expandable two-blade and it went through, quartering away, full pass-through. What's the arrow look like? Bright red. Okay, we got some lungs. We got something good. Let's give it two hours. Take up the trail. And I say that because it could be a great, great-looking arrow on one lung. And if it takes two hours, you give it two hours, and you start tracking, and you get 150 yards, yes. Yes. that's when I say, still haven't found the deer. It's not double lung back out give it another two and a half hours well and let's and that's let's re- where i think that right there is where so many mistakes happen uh, so i we've gritted got a- my teeth when i said that because i've been on those trails where the guy shooting or hunting goes i think we're good he gets to make the call and you keep going knowing it was the wrong decision well and uh, here's here's the thing we we have to pause there because this is the point in the road or the flow chart where you you can actually score. I'll go back to that that baseball scenario. You're actually scoring, or or you're you're coming up empty. Um, because yep. what happens is if you pursue that trail and you th- and you got lung, 
but that deer is not down within 150 yards. And this is plus or minus a, a little bit, yeah, right? I would say 250 is generally, but be, just because it could have been going downhill. Right. So downhill's a little different. If it's downhill, but if it's like going up a hill and it's 150, yards, yeah, you then back out. Back out 100% because that deer, if it's a double long, and especially on a, on a quartering of, of some sort, if it's a double long, you could have caught some liver in there too. So you've really should have that deer down within 150 to 200 yards. And if you're not seeing that deer, then it's time to back out because you didn't hit both lungs. The scenario just drastically changed and you have to be aware of that breaking point of, okay, I don't have a bed. It's 150 yards. If it's a one lung, I know that I'm probably close to where a deer should be bedding down in the first bed. And if it's a one longer and I've only waited two hours, that deer is very likely still alive and can get back up out of its bed. And that's one of the situations where after you find, if you bump a deer, um, because you pursued too fast, you didn't take in all the information that you could have. If you bump a deer on a one lunger out of its bed, don't expect a lot of blood following up. And, and, that's- and if that's a scenario that you found yourself in, um, not saying you did not find the deer, but chances and percentages really decrease from there unless there's a dog that can pick up the actual scent trail of that individual deer because the sign that's left through blood trail can be very, very difficult to track that thing efficiently, um, quickly for certain. But the best, best, best thing to do is back out. Do not bump that deer from that first bed and then return in at least four and a half hours time frame from the shot, at least four and a half hours to get in there. And, and, Adam, I know we talk to a lot of hunters, um, you know, every day or week, but but this is just, you know, five different scenarios that we can think of where people we know were in this exact position of, hey, I, sh- I took I took a shot, followed up the trail, I, I either went too far, I didn't give it enough time, and um, I bumped the deer, or I suspect I bumped the deer, or I just went too far, I knew I went too far, and I had to back out. So. Some of these resulted in a recovery. Some of them did not. And yeah. we don't want that for people to find themselves in those situations. So if it's not down, if you don't see it go down two and a half hours, and if it's not down within 150, 200 yards in that, after that two and a half hours, back back out again, give it some more time, another two and a half hours, and hopefully then you can make that clean recovery. But bumping is, is like, that's when I get pessimistic at that point. Yeah. That when it's like, um, that, oh, crap. Uh, this, is not, this is not good. This is not good. And, and luckily or fortunately, there's a lot of states now, I think, that um, have opened up the opportunity. I know I was just one of them, a couple other ones, um, where now you can, <laughs> it is now legal to use a dog um, to take up the trail, a leashed dog, um, and those are great, great options uh, if it's if it's one that's available in your area. If you find yourself in the situation where you bumped it, um, but man, that's just a tough, tough scenario to find yourself in because you see lung blood, and sometimes on a one lung uh, deer, 
Now you see really good like amounts of blood as well. It's frothy, it's a light-colored blood, it's bubbly, and you're just sitting there, go, 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 here's the next track, here's the next track, and you just find yourself really quickly uh, potentially past that 150-yard mark, and whoops, now we're in a situation where the game just changed drastically. And I think if you... if if you're not aware that the game just changed drastically, um, that's when the mistakes happen. But that's the importance of this podcast is you got to know when the game really changed to make these situations um, have the outcome that you desired. That's right. Yep. I, you know, from that flow chart, you can back back up. We went down a long line, but was it broadside? And if you say yes, then you say, was it a pass-through or not a pass-through? And so, basically, what I have is um, it was a pass-through. And then I say, was it a pass-through in the kill zone? And if you say yes, okay, wait an hour and a half just for some time and take up the trail, depending on blood and everything. And you should, if it's a broadside right in the kill zone you waited two hours and you tracking and you have it you you likely would find that deer in my experience within 250 yards yeah but if if you haven't found it within 250 yards take a stop reevaluate try to address and figure out if this is a one lung and if it is then you jump back over to the other chart where you're like maybe it wasn't broadside maybe right. i was a little bit off but if it was kill zone and you say, no, it was not the kill zone. Then you say, then you have to address, well, was it guts? And then you've got all kinds of other columns to go down. Was <laughs> yes. it? Yeah. But if it was guts and you're like, let's wait four and a half hours, start easing our way in, trying to address in that first 250 yards or 150 yards on the blood trail. Is there blood or is this all just gut gooky? normal stuff you'd find on a gut shot a lot a lot of times with a gut shot and especially if you're using a a, a wider cutting diameter um you'll get liver you'll get an artery and and any of that additional blood um obviously is helpful but if you're getting that type of blood i feel like they bed down faster than if it's just a straight gut shot and and to me it's if you're getting that blood some yeah four and a half hours probably good if i don't see very much blood and i'm just trying to identify like the track where that deer maybe displaced leaves broke twigs going through i'm seeing a little bit of gut material here and there then it's like it's probably closer to a six and a half eight hour wait um on on that type of recovery i just want to back out completely because i'm not that animal is not bleeding out or bleeding internally like we would really really desire that's right that's right. Yep. And, and to me, I'm just like, when I look at it, uh, I almost hesitate to make this claim and maybe I've made it on the past so people wouldn't be sh- that shocked, but I would rather track a gut shot with a big expandable than one long fixed blade. Yeah. And, people, and stuff like that. But some of the, I would venture to say the most unsuccessful blood trails I've ever been a part of the, the, the longest list in all the various 
locations that a deer has been hit and all the locate or different forms of a of a head rut row zone that is this was a one lung with a fixed blade and those tracks have been horrible and most of them end without a deer and deer never shows on trail cameras so you know it died somewhere it was just probably a very long ways from where he was shot a long ways and potentially a long time and and here it's a it is an absolute privilege to be able to hunt and chase deer and um i I think it's a responsibility that every hunter has as soon as they climb in a tree whether it be archery equipment or it be gun firearm you owe it to the animal to make the best shot and the best shot starts at shot selection and and sure absolutely adam um you've tracked deer that i've shot and we didn't recover i've tracked deer that you've shot and didn't recover it happens to everybody and i I, no one's perfect and things happen when you're hunting but if we can all just take good shots at the start of it you can minimize some of these things that just you know don't happen uh or that 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 shouldn't let's just say they're avoidable just quite frankly are avoidable if some shots are not taken from the get-go yeah and that's important that's important lesson but i'm 100 percent agreeing with you on that i think that the target size is much larger or the missed opportunity but still being very effectively if you're if you respect the um the times the wait times after the shot with a two inch expandable off back off the shoulder some that that target and that kill zone is is very wide open um so it, it's a it's a good window and really a, a great option to be able to um effectively kill deer with archery equipment not saying and, and not I saying others don't work no and and that's exactly it and i don't i'm not trying to dog on guys who shoot fixed blade i just in my experience like i don't think it's what i've seen is guys are able to take more quartering two shots or they're shooting these fixed blade because they want to blow through that shoulder and be able to get into that kill zone and i'm like i love pass through shots i love finding the arrow right where i shot it addressing the arrow and my most successful way of doing that is shooting the poundage i shoot that the weight of the arrow i shoot two blade expandable blow through don't take long shots if possible and and go from there and i don't think it's possible even if you gave me a heavy heavy arrow and i cranked her up and i was pulling 70 well i pull like 72 i max my bow out 60 70 pound limbs and i max it out so i think it's like right around 72 and i do you, do you work out bro no i don't <laughs> that's why it hurts so bad um <laughs> but, and I, as i said that i'm like i probably need to crank my bow down at some point because my shoulders don't feel as good as they once did <laughs> and uh, but what I would say is, even if you gave me everything, like you can blow through a shoulder if you want. I don't think I could do it just because it's, it's like a, 
red blinking light on a deer when I draw it back, like, don't shoot here. Beep, beep, beep. Don't do it. Don't do it. Danger, danger, well, danger. Think about it for I a second, though. I mean, it, it, it invites the likelihood of a one long deer, especially at any type of quartering situation, quartering two, quartering away. It invites that likelihood by a lot. By a lot, if you're aiming on a front shoulder on any type of quartering uh, angle, it is a likelihood that that is a 100% a uh, a one lung deer. And that's not a good situation to find yourself in. Uh, tracking, um, they're just generally a lot of waiting and um, taking up that trail has got to be done wisely, let's say, if that's your shot or if that's your miss. It's just got to be done. Yep. Yep. Man, I, and I hope I hope this whole podcast, guys listen to it and like, not, not me, bro. I've got, I give them plenty of time and I don't, I don't touch the shoulders like, okay, great. I'm glad you got nothing out of this podcast. But for you other guys that live in reality like Matt and I do, it's going to happen. And it's I think happen. this is a good refresher for uh, this basically flow chart and just reminder that hey you know it's not always exactly what we saw let's be conservative in our tracking and conservative in our in our just beliefs on on following this this trail and and uh make sure that we're not making mistakes that could have been easily avoided certainly and 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 then too on top of that um be conscious of the the air temp if you have to leave a deer be conscious of that like obviously we don't want to see any deer go to waste um we want to make every effort possible to recover that deer and, and take advantage of the opportunity from a meal that it provides people um so just be conscious of that too when you're hunting and say ah, man should i really take the shot do i have enough time to come back in the morning and, and give this animal uh, the respect and due diligence that I need to, and is that meat going to be of, of, let's say, table fare quality for my family or to donate, whatever the case may be. It doesn't matter if it's a buck or a doe. It's the same situation. Uh, it's an animal. It's got to be respected, and I, that that's the other important note, I think, to, to leave the podcast on. Yep, sounds good. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast, and I hope that you are finding time to get out in the woods, and hopefully you're safe out there. And uh, if you are successful, please share it with us on Instagram. Yeah, for sure. Be sure to check out our YouTube channels. We're dropping videos every week right now. Yep. Um, a bunch of hunts, both past and recently. And, uh, man, it's just a good time to be alive. It is. Hopefully, Adam, we'll have some time to uh, get out this week and um, get some time in the tree. And deer are going to start moving. I know that, which is super exciting. Yep. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week. See ya. Yep.